Hello and welcome to Switzer TV, I'm Peter Switzer. And on tonight's show we find out why arguably Australia's best developer and builder of quality apartments, Tim Gurner, is teaming up with listed fund Qualitas to build built-to-rent apartment complexes. And we talk to property experts, buyer agent Chris Gray of Your Empire and champion auctioneer Justin Nickerson of Apollo Auctions on how to win at auctions or at least how not to look like a novice loser when you show up and you don't know how to really do it well. And finally, we catch up with the founders of M Square Capital to see what's going on in the market right now. That's the show. Let's kick off with Tim Gurner. Well, one of the best builder developers in the country is Tim Gurner, and he's paired up with Qualitas, which is a company that invests in real estate, um, to get into a space that's really the new age. It's called Build to Rent. And I want to see what Tim and Qualitas is planning. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Good to see you. Yeah, same here, mate. Now, Build to Rent is the, the new idea um, to, to, to help people who really can't buy what, what they want to buy, where they want to buy. Um, but I, I never ex expected you to get involved in mm -hmm. this space. What, what encouraged you to, to, to go into this area? Because you're, you're the luxury apartment kind of guy who sells to high-end investors who often rent and then move into the places when they downsize. What made you get interested in the build-to-rent space? Yeah, look, it's really, it's really interesting one. I mean, it has been a really big decision for us for the brand. Um, we wanted to make sure that it's something that would align with our brand um, and what we want to do moving forward. It's interesting. It's a new asset class here, but as you know, it's a huge asset class in the US and Europe. So mm. in the US, it's a very, very established market where you've got, got your multifamily, which is your rental housing, and then you've got your condo, condos, which is more of your sort of build-to-sell typical products. The European market since the GFC has now picked up massively in the built-to-rent space as well, um, or multi-family space. And it is definitely an industry that's coming to Australia and will be a big player in the Australian market. I guess it's 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 an interesting way of looking at the rental market. It's it's trying to deliver a luxury product to mass, to larger scale, and people of different demographics um, at a more more affordable rate. So you're right. It is on. It needs to be in a demographic in a country where. You know, not everybody can buy. And obviously in Australia now, it used to be the great Aussie dream to buy. I think that has definitely changed with my generation and the millennial generation where people are, are more concerned about lifestyle and convenience than probably so much the big backyard. So big change in demographics. And I think it is a big segment of the market that we wanted to make sure that we are a player in. I will be honest, Peter, we, we spent a fair bit of time making sure that we'd be able to do a product that we'd be proud of and at the level that we want to. We're not interested in doing sort of cookie cutter standard product, as you know. So mm. we've seen a big gap in the market for that higher end luxury product in the rental market. So yes, we won't be the cheapest in the market, but we'll have a very, very different offering to what is in the market. Mm. So I guess the end of the end of the day, you'll be looking after or chasing a demographic or de delivering to a demographic that arguably might want to be in some of the, the, the best parts of a city, but it's just unaffordable as a buyer, but not as a renter. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it is a bit of that. It's not just all about affordability, though. It is that kind of luxury of convenience as well, I guess. So people are travelling a lot more. You know, the world is a much smaller place, apart from obviously the last nine months has been a little bit different. But 
Typically, people are wanting to move around a bit more. They might spend half their time here. They might spend some time up in Queensland or overseas or wherever they are. So it's not just about affordability and not wanting to buy, but there are a lot of people like Europe. I mean, Europe, there's a huge percentage of people who don't own their own home. It is much more of a rented market. And that is just an accepted way of living. And people love that way of living. And it's more lifestyle focused, which is definitely where Australia's heading. Explain to my viewers how Qualitas, in a sense, operates to provide the funding for you to do what you want to do. Yeah, so Qualitas are one of the largest um, equity fundraisers in the property segment across Australia. Um, amazing group of guys, very, very smart guys. They are the fund and capital rating behind the partnership. So we are the design, the delivery and the operations of the property form. We, we had a look at raising the capital ourselves and decided it's not definitely not our best skill set. We wanted to focus on what we're good at. So we went to the experts in that world. They are very, very connected around the world with the institutional type investors through Europe and America, and then obviously the large families in Australia. So their role is to raise the capital and all of the compliance around the property and its operation in the investment form. Yeah. Now, will investors then be able to invest in a specific fund earmarked to fund the kind of projects you'll be doing? Absolutely, yes. So it'll be a portfolio of buildings. It won't be just one individual building. Um, we're doing that because we obviously want that diversity for the investors. Um, it is targeted at sophisticated investors and families, so it will be a, a much larger entry price. It's not going to be a couple of hundred thousand. Um, so it is definitely targeted to the larger families and institutional investors. Yeah. And so effectively, um, an investor would come in, they would have their, their money earmarked to the build to rent project, whatever that fund might be called by Qualitas. Yeah. And then ultimately then when the whole project is finished, now who then becomes, is the owner at the end? Is it Qualitas or is it or does Qualitas sold on to a company that then manages the build, the, 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 the rental aspect of it? Yeah, no, so it's Qualitas and Gurner. So we'll have a large interest in the property as well. So we'll be co-investors, Qualitas and Gurner in the fund. So we'll own the property with them. We will operate it ourselves, being us, Gurner, and then the investors will come in. It is a very much a long-term play. We'll hold these assets for at least seven to ten years. It's not a short-term turnaround. Um, obviously, through that period, there's, there's opportunities to pull cash out at new valuations, and that's obviously when the investment becomes more and more interesting to investors. But it is very much a long-term play. We want to hold minimum 5,000 apartments in this portfolio um, with a target of about 10 to 15,000. So that would be built up over seven to 10 years. Yeah. So that means that effectively your company then will have streams of long-term income. Correct. That's exactly the plan. And, and that is new to your business in a sense? It's a different thing, yeah. Like it's, you know, our business has been very successful over the years in the off the plan selling market. But mm. as you know, that's reliant. We are very reliant on the market. So the great thing about bills to rent for us, it is a long term hold position. It's diversity across our portfolio rather than just needing to sell apartments the whole time. So it provides us to diversity and also allows, it's interesting. We kind of look at it as a great avenue for the build-to-sell market. So we want people to rent from us, and as they grow up and they establish into the build-to-sell market, then hopefully they'll buy from us. Our high-end buyers that are bought downsizers hopefully have their kids living with us in the rental buildings. Mm. Will it be a listed fund or will it be a, um, a private fund? That's a private unlisted fund, yeah. Okay, all right, okay. So um, uh, when is the first project going to kick off, Tim? 
We'll have three projects started construction by June next year. So about 1,100 apartments. We've got three locations in Melbourne, which I can't tell you just yet. We'll be able to tell you in about a month. Um, but three very prime locations, incredible buildings. It'll all start construction by the next year. Well, it seems, seems to me Premier Daniel Andrews would be very happy that you're going to be kicking off three projects because creating jobs is always something a Premier always likes. Yeah, well, that's what we need. And I think it's interesting, obviously, there's been a bit of a bit of assistance through um, Victoria and New South Wales with a land tax exemption. And I think it's important state and federal governments continue to look at this sector because it will be something that will help us drive out of this little um, COVID situation we found ourselves in. And, mm. you know, the build-to-sell market isn't easy at the moment. I mean, we are selling apartments at the moment, but it is still slower. And this is a great way for state and federal politics to actually get some real construction on the ground and happening quickly. Great stuff. Well, it's a good story, mate. And uh, congratulations going forward and uh, look forward to seeing you in not too distant future. Beautiful. Thanks, Peter. Good to see you. Well, this week we want to feature how do you win at auctions? And to help us do exactly that, we've got a property expert in Chris Gray from Your Empire. And he's a buyer's agent and he's a lot more than that. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Peter. Do, do you go to auctions very often nowadays, Chris? No, and you hit the nail on the head is most professionals don't actually go to auction because even though I'm very happy public speaking and getting over the nervousness of being in an auction and knowing what to do there, I know that most emotional people that go there have got deep pockets and their emotional money will spend more than my factual money. So if I think a property is worth a million dollars but someone else has been approved to 1.2, they actually spend up to what the bank lends them, not what the property is worth. Mm. And so what you're saying is that um, the, the emotional aspect takes away from the, the true value of a property. Yeah, and so a lot of people say, well, I only spent $5,000 more than the next people, but if you've got two people that have got no idea and they keep bidding it from a million up to that 1.2, they go away happy, but the property is not worth 1.2. And then they ring the bank on the Monday and say, hey, I bought a property for 1.2. And then the bank almost faints and thinks, God, how are we going to deal with this customer now? So, so really what you're, you're saying is that there's a, a, a very different attitude when it comes to uh, an investor versus a person who's going to live in a house. Sure. So an emotional person that lives in their house will obviously be more emotional, but they still want to buy the a right kind of price as well. If they're buying something so unique that it only comes up once a year, then sure, they may need to pay slightly over. But if you're buying a regular house, then there's no point paying over the odds. You just need to walk away and move on to the next auction till you can buy at the right price. So, so your attitude really isn't winning at auction means getting the property. You're saying getting the property at the right price is winning at an auction. Exactly. That's, that's the bottom line. So whether you buy it off market in the first few weeks of the campaign, at auction or after auction, doesn't matter. As long as you buy the right property at the right price, then that's that's the bottom line. So one aspect of winning at auction is to, to win before the auction by putting in a price beforehand of what you actually want to pay. Exactly. Or walking away at auction, making the vendor realise that no one was paying his price, he then has regret for a few days afterwards and then maybe you can pick it up for a cheaper price then. Even cheaper than the auction because the, the highest bidder might have then moved on somewhere else. So, so are you happy when you go to an auction with a client 
and it gets passed in because then you think, okay, that improves my chances of getting at the price I want to pay. Sure. So it depends what you're buying. If I'm buying a million dollar Bondi unit, I've got to go pre-auction because someone's always going to buy it at auction. It's not going to get passed in. But if I was going for maybe a block of units, a $10 million block of units, I know not everyone has got $10 million. So I'd rather actually go to auction on a block like that rather than buy it pre-auction mm. because I want the vendor to realize there's not many people bidding and he needs to take whatever he can get on the day. So therefore, your tip to sellers of Bondi apartments is always go to auction. Yeah. So our general advice to clients is don't sell mm. and refinance instead. But if you do want to sell or you do have to sell, pick the best agent, do the best marketing campaign, take it to auction, and that's your best chance of getting 10 or 20% over the odds. Okay. Let's talk about the fact that all right, people might ignore some of your really good advice and they're going to go to auction and they emotionally want this property. What are the kinds of things like, for example, I've done a number of auctions where I've, I've won, inverted commas, um, and I've waited right to the very end before I've bidded and, and I've watched the, the prices go from you know, jumps of 10, 20,000. And when they get into the, like, the twos and the ones, that's when I figure these people are really finding it hard. And then I'll come in and make, make, make an offer, say, $10,000 higher. And I've won. It's, it's tended to work. But it doesn't mean it's the right thing. What, what, would you, what, what is your view on, on, on the, the uh, technique that's worked for me? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm very much in your camp there, Peter. The main thing is to start with is to know what the property is worth. So we always get an independent valuation before we go to auction. So right. we know exactly in the bank size, unemotionally, what's it worth. And then you can add, add the emotional money on top of that. Mm. So there's two, two thoughts. Either going super strong. So I've, my first auction in Australia is a guy in a pinstripe suit. He was right at the front of the room. He was buying that property. He was betting big all the time. And even if people have more money, they were just scared off. Mm. So, so that's one method. The other one is to do exactly what you've done. And that's typically what I do is don't fuel the fire. Don't fuel the energy in the room, putting in lots of little bids. You want it all to go slow, get the down to the last few dollars, and then chuck in five or 10 grand. And in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not a lot. Because I've seen things move in 300,000 in $1,000 increments, and it took forever. So a 10 or 20 grand bid can just knock them out of the water. Yeah. I remember going to an auction many years ago where the, the reserve was expected to be about 1.2 million and two bidders basically went 10,000 by 10,000 up to $2 million. And like the, the owner was knocked out, everyone there was knocked out, but both those people were emotional. They wanted to live in Edward Street, Cooper Park, and there was not, nothing was going to stop them. And so, look, we, we see it on the block auctions on, I think it's Channel 9, mm. and you get professionals trying to disrupt it. So they suddenly change the bid amounts or do dollars and cents. They do anything to disrupt the flow, whereas if you're going 10,000, 10,000, 10,000, it's just repetitive. Mm. So a lot of people will, will try and uh, upset those things. Sometimes it annoys the auctioneer there, and then you've got him offside. So that's not necessarily a good idea at the same time. Positioning yourself, do you, do you position yourself in a special place? Again, I, I can do two different things. So sometimes I can be shorts and T-shirt and looking poor as if I've got no money. Yeah. And other times I'll do the pinstripe suit right at the front being big and bold. Um, other things I've done is uh, I know a lot of the auctioneers and the agents 
I'll go up and hand the auctioneer a bottle of water at the start and some of the agents, and then suddenly think, people then think, oh, what's going on? This bidder knows, knows the inside. He's in cahoots with the auctioneer. And again, it's, it's doing nothing illegal, but it just puts them off and it puts questions. Ah, is this really valid? Is this a dummy bidder? Is something going on? And so it's really just upset. And now a lot of first home buyers or or new people to the industry would be thinking, there's something weird here, maybe I just won't bid. Do you wait until you know that the property's on the market? Because you often hear people say, is the property on the market? And, uh, and, and, that, and that kind of person does not want to participate in any bidding before they know it's on the market. What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah, so a lot of agents and auctioneers are trying to stop that process because they know a lot of people won't bid until it happens mm. and so they they quite often announce at the start of the auction we're not going to announce it on the market but in a way they generally do anyway mm. look i'm trying to wait till the auction is going one two three and almost hammer down mm. but my heart rate goes through the roof because i know the chances are they're not going to do it too quickly they generally always go and speak to the vendor before then they put the final hammer down so it can be uh uh, a real heartbreak kind of thing of uh, of knowing how long to leave it. Mm. But I've generally got a pretty good idea. And I'm doing what you were doing is putting that 10 grand in, but really when the auction is pretty much ready to do it. Because when I put the 10 grand in, I want him to say any other bidders, no, no hammer down, and then the property's mine. Have you ever mistimed it and really been disappointed that the property you missed out? One of the scariest times was um, I was in Spain and it was four in the morning. I had a client in Melbourne and I had bidders, two bidders in a Sydney auction, both at opposite sides of the room, all on a conference call. And then we had problems with, uh, with coverage. And so we couldn't tell if we had the bid and the client was saying, I'm happy to go another 10. And um, yeah, that was the scariest time in my life, I think, because that was at around $10 million. What lucky we got it. Okay. And what tricks do auctioneers employ to get your price higher and how can you avoid it? Oh, look, you've, you've known from Sky, Tom Panos, one of the best uh, auctioneers in the country. He's very, very confident. And if you're unsure of what's happening and you've got a very confident auctioneer like Tom, they can almost get you to do anything, bid against yourselves, kind of push you above your limit tell you in front of a big crowd, oh, that's not enough, you need to increase your offer. And basically, they're putting pressure on you. And, and look, that's their job, they're working for the vendor. And so this is when you need to know the rules to say, no, I'm happy opening the bid at 500. If your vendor doesn't want to take 500, maybe you want to go and check with him, because if I was him, I'd be taking it or another, another $500. Mm. And so you just be confident on yourself. And my re main recommendation is go to 50 auctions, lots of different auctioneers, lots of different areas, learn to see what's happening don't necessarily believe the tv shows because you're just getting the edited versions there go and see what the mood is and see how many people are around and it's like anything practice makes perfect or if in doubt hire a professional and a professional can go and do it for you uh, if you don't want to hire a professional should you bring along some friend or member of the family who have has no problem telling you the truth as long as they know what the truth is. The problem is with property is everyone's an expert. Mm. Even the armchair people that have never bought a property in their lives, they're all experts. So my advice is if you can't afford to hire a professional, hire someone that has bought lots of property and is wealthy because they're much more likely to be able to, uh, to know what they're doing. One last one, uh, Chris. Um, a friend of mine who is pretty good at property um, 
was actually walking past a house at the end of her street and there was an auction going on. She hadn't looked at the property. She knew the property because she walked past it all the time and she just stood around, listened to the price and she just thought the prices were ridiculous because she knew the value of properties in the street. So she bought it sight unseen uh, and she actually did buy a very good property. But uh, it, it, my, my question to you is, Sometimes should you just turn up to auctions because you could be surprised at the price you'll get a place at? No, look, I think it's a very dangerous thing. And look, it's a great story for dinner parties to say, hey, I just walked down the street and I spent a million or a couple of million on a property. But in reality, look, we're professionals. We're buying hundreds and hundreds of properties. Before we buy any property, we get an independent valuation, a full building inspection, full strata inspection, pest inspection if it's a house, and to run things through the solicitor, because you never know if council's suddenly putting a road through or there's an electricity station that's about to go in there. There's something that you've never even heard of mm. that could devalue that property. You're spending millions of dollars. It's pretty cool, but it's just not worth doing. Yeah. I, I had some clients at a dinner party before that were on conference call when I was bidding for them. They said, Chris, put in an offer. And I said, no, I'm here to get you the best property at the best price, not to entertain your clients over dinner. If you really want me to do it, I'll do it. But um, that's not what you're paying me for. So. It's all about mathematics, wealth creation. And again, you'd know for yourself in financial planning, it's, um, it's not a hobby. We're not playing games here. It's, uh, it's serious money. Yeah, exactly right. Chris Carrado, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, earlier we heard from Chris Gray on what he thinks are the key lessons from all his years of going to auctions and buying properties for clients. And now we're talking to Justin Nickerson, who's a three times winner of the Australian Auctioneer of the Year Awards. And he's from Apollo Auctions. Justin, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's start with some um, views from you on what you think makes a really successful bidder at an auction. Well, I think there's two things mainly. Um, the first one's one that I guess you don't have a lot of control over, and it's that who has the biggest budget generally wins. Um, it usually comes down to, to budget and want. You know, if you have got the largest budget there and you want it more than anybody else, there's really not too many strategies that are going to stop you from buying a property. Uh, but what we tend to find a lot is that the people who do buy properties at auction come with a plan. So they've, they've researched auctions, they've got a plan in place um, that they then go ahead and execute. And that planning allows them to catch other people who maybe aren't as well prepared uh, on the hop and potentially buy properties that they might have been a 50-50 chance of buying prior to the auction starting. Right. Do you think that there is a way of bidding that actually gives you an advantage, um, even from the sense that the advantage might be that you don't pay as much as you would if you bidded in a different kind of way? Yeah, look, we, we see all different sort of styles um, get uh, get put into play. I had an auction this morning where one of the bidders tried using unusual numbers. So they, they jumped the increments in uh, quite unusual numbers, not your regular fives or tens. They'd be throwing, you know, 18s at various points and, and different things. What, what we tend to find consistently, though, the best approach is those who bid quickly tend to have the most success. Uh, and the reason being, I think, is they not only give off the impression that they've got an unlimited budget, so it, it, it can be quite demoralizing for their competitors, but also what they do is because they're not the one making the decision constantly, they're putting the decision back on their competitors over and over and over again. 
Um, so it feels like they're constantly having to make decision after decision. So I think that bidding quickly is a really good strategy that allows that pressure to go on your, on your opponents uh, rather than on you at various stages of the auction. Yeah, you're saying that if, if the person you're bidding against is deliberating before they decide, you start thinking, they're finding this hard. The pain started to come in. So every time they make a bid, if you counter that really quickly, it's basically saying, don't worry, mate, you're going to lose no matter what. Exactly, yeah. It gives off the impression, be it real or imagined, that you're not concerned about where the bidding's going because you're just you know, getting in front, um, getting in front nonstop. So I think that those that have got that strategy in mind, when the other people are deliberating, they're almost deliberating, you know, two moves ahead. So they're saying, okay, if these people jump back in again with another five, let's go straight away. And, and then, you know, that'll happen. And then basically they're, they're sort of controlling the auction by being a step ahead of their competitors. Do you ever see anyone who may well have decided that they're not going to win? So they keep bidding to make the other person, the arsehole who's going to win, pay more? Look, sometimes it's a pretty dangerous game though, isn't <laughs> it? It's a dangerous you know, game, It uh, yeah. comes with pretty heavy consequences if you if you misjudge where the other person's budget or capacity might end. Um, mm. You know, you do see some people, they'll say it, you know, they'll say, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll just bid again then because he's going to keep bidding. And, and mm. you think, well, you know, again, it's a pretty dangerous, uh, dangerous game with big consequences if that's the one you're going to employ. Well, what are the legal implications if you do... Uh, overbid and then you just say oh hang on i can't afford that i'll, I'll pull them out can, can you can you get away with that legally uh, look not really in most states and territories you well in all states and territories you're bound um the states and territories in in australia that have registration you know you've already handed your details across so even if you do a do a bolt and jump off to the car and take off the auctioneer has authority to sign on your behalf so they can actually complete the contract on your behalf. Then you can be legally pursued for it. In the states where registration isn't mandatory, you know, you can maybe make a case that if they don't know who you are, you can jump in the car and drive off. But again, it's it, you're sort of talking one in a thousand or one in 10,000 type scenarios, I think. Yeah, because uh, I'd be thinking that the, the underbidder would be saying, well, hang on, I, I was a fair dinkum bigger bidder. The other guy was an idiot. So I'm entitled to, to claim this property. Yeah, and look, that happens a lot. And what you tend to find is the underbidder also then says, well, the only reason I went to X is because that person was bidding me up there and mm. they're now gone. Therefore, I'll actually buy it, but I'll buy it back at the level where the next competition, um, you know, petered out. So, yeah, it opens the door to a, a lot of different uh, legal scenarios. And, and like with most legal scenarios, the only winner in the end generally is those, uh, you know, on the right side of the law, the lawyers, and, uh, and they get to fill their pockets. Okay, so there isn't like a real estate institute, um, a place that arbitration where you can actually sort out these kind of disputes? The real estate institutes um, aren't regulatory bodies, so they're yeah. advisory bodies in each right. state and territory. Um, each state and territory has its own individual one. For Queensland, for example, we have the Office of Fair Trading. So mm. the Office of Fair Trading are the one who generally wades through those those kind of disputes and then uh, and then can make legal determinations on it. But Again, if, if you're legally trying to pursue someone who doesn't have the capacity to complete, you, you know, you're going to end up between a rock and a hard place anyway. So usually what happens is it goes to an arbitration process and the right sort of result gets, mm. um, gets agreed to uh, across the different stakeholders. Mm. Has there ever been any uh, legal protests about the way real estate agents will sometimes, they'll go to a bidder and actually talk them into to going up a little bit more, a little bit more. Has anyone ever, ever as, a, as a consequence of that sort of real estate 
hand-holding uh, ever protested legally over? There's been a couple of cases where people have said the only reason I, I bid was effectively I was cajoled into it by the agent. Mm. Um, you know, again, it's people, I think the undertaking of the law, though, is that if you're there and you're bidding, you know, you, you're accepting the fact the terms of the contract and you can complete on the contract. Um, and the fact that someone's talking to you doesn't change those things. So mm. I think what we find a lot is that if people don't want the influence of an agent, they're very quick to tell them, you know, please give us our personal space. Let us make our own decisions. Um, but occasionally it has been legally challenged, but most of the time it's been found in the case of, well, you're there and acting in your own behalf mm. um, and any other such advice you might be getting, you know, doesn't actually impact that. Yeah, I, I know I've been to a lot of auctions uh, where we're all standing around in the street. And I think other countries of the world, you, you might correct me, they're, they're quite surprised that we do do that. Um, but has ever, have you ever come across a punch-up as a consequence of the fact that we are standing side by side and we are, you know, in a, in a sense, taking people on on a very emotional subject? Have you ever seen a punch-up or a push-around as a consequence of a, of a bidding um, duel? Not a, not a physical one. We've seen a few verbal um, verbal disagreements uh, after it. Um, the funniest story I have on that is we had once we had a father and a daughter bidding against each other. So they were two <laughs> separate bidders uh, bidding against each other. The, uh, the daughter bought the property. Uh, and as a consequence, the father wouldn't allow her to jump in the car with her after. So he drove off. She had to get an Uber to wherever she was heading to. Uh, so, you know, it shows... I guess, you know, they always say blood's thicker than water, but sometimes um, your blood's not quite thick enough, I suppose. Yeah, real estate's thicker than blood. Exactly. All right, now, yeah. all right so, so if you had to give someone advice going to an auction, what are the most important lessons you would teach them? Uh, first and foremost, do your research. Um, and don't just research, you know, the property, which a lot of people do. They research recent sales. Research auctions, you know, go and watch a few, see how they work, see what happens to the highest bidder, see why people stop bidding, what are the signs they give when they stop bidding, all those kinds of things. It stuns me when we turn up to an auction and we, we meet a buyer and a buyer says, oh, yeah, I'm a bit nervous. I'm at my first auction. And you think, you know, you're about to make a life-changing decision here and you're going into an environment that you're completely unfamiliar with. You know, that's that's just a recipe for disaster. So do research, go attend a lot of auctions. You know, there's, there's heaps and heaps of auctions that are online now. So you can even watch them from your own comfort of your lounge room. Um, so do your research, have a plan going into the day. You know, people say all the time to us, well, I'm just going to see what happens. Well, inactivity at an auction isn't a ho isn't a strategy. It's just a hope. You know, mm. you, you legitimately cannot buy the property unless you bid. So that's, that's clear and simple. And that's been the case since the Egyptians did auctions back, back when, you know, you can't buy something unless you actually physically do something or take an action towards that. So have a plan in place. And lastly, just execute that plan, you know, have the plan there ready to go. If your plan is to start the auction off, then start it off. If it's to bid quickly, do that, you know, and, uh, and give yourself the best possible shot of buying the property. Yep, six months ago on this program, when uh, we'll, we'll look at the issues of auctions and talking to experts, we, we kind of made the conclusion that over the next six months, and that was probably, you know, we're talking about April, um, it might be a good idea if you're in the market that, to show up to as many auctions as possible because you might just get a surprising result. Um, a, was that a reasonable piece of advice? And B, are we now finding that the bidding over the reserve sort of suggests that um, it's, it's harder to win an auction right now? 
Yeah, look, I think that early COVID period was the period where there was a lot of uncertainty around um, and people who were transacting at that time were transacting out of need rather than out of want. Um, mm. So I definitely think that was pretty sage advice at that time. Look, we're, we're experiencing, particularly here in Queensland, which is where most of our localised auctions are based, we probably have the best auction market we've had here in, you know, eight or nine or 10 years, um, mm. going back a long period of time. Um, you know, we've got a, a New Zealand arm to our business, the New Zealand arm, it's phenomenal, the market over there. Uh, and, you know, our Sydney and Melbourne contacts who are the other major auction markets, you know, they're performing very strongly as well. So I think the time for um, getting a good buy might, might have passed for the next little while anyway. Um, and now it's actually a lack of supply out to the market that's actually the major determining force of what's going on. You know, in most suburbs and most areas, we're seeing historically low levels of, of listings that are going out. Um, and you couple that with above average buyer demand, and that's that's creating a bottleneck in most cases. So I think the next little while, we'll see a really competitive period of auctions. Um, the next kind of, you know, blip or hurdle might just be when, you know, the government assistance packages wear off, gov uh, job seeker, job keeper, mortgage freezes, you know, at the, the end of the first quarter of next year. Um, whether that then changes the, the feel of the market a little bit, not sure, but I think until then, we're going to see more of what we're experiencing at the present point in time. Okay. And there was always a, a bit of a, a hangover problem of the one bedroom apartments, you know, in, in Brisbane, you know, um, oversupply, uh, lack of interest. Are they starting to be taken up now? Look, they're starting to be more popular. I definitely mm. say it's probably the weakest segment of the market that we see up here is, um, you know, is, is that kind of unit stock that's, that's particularly in inner city Brisbane. Um, and I guess now the X factor with all that is with people not having to be localised in city centres as much because people are now working, you know, remotely from home mm. or, or with flexible working environments. Does that actually change the way that our market looks in, in city centres? You know, commercially, no doubt it will. Residentially, does it mean less people want to invest there? Less people want to be based there? Less people want to have, you know, second or third residences there? Um, you know, that'll be an interesting one to monitor, I think, I think for the next few years. So, mm. yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting times, I think, all around. Yeah, because you, you could actually see people who are definitely going to be CBD workers who are pretty well healed, who um, may well decide to live out in the weekend, uh, you know, the Gold Coast and have a, a, a one-bedroom apartment in the city for, you know, four days a week or something. Yeah, absolutely. No question. And we've already seen, you know, there's interstate migration that's happened, particularly to Queensland. But what we're also experiencing is our Bayside areas are getting more popular. People mm. are moving away from the city because they don't have to be as situated as close to the city. They'd rather, you know, work remotely, work out mm. near the water somewhere. Um, and that's been a real a real push, particularly areas like, you know, Manly and Wynnum, um, Sandgate in, uh, in Brisbane, those Bayside areas have, have undergone a real surge. Mm, great stuff. Uh, thanks for joining us, Justin. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Well, we're catching up with the founders of M Squared Capital, Paul Miliotis and Paul Mirren. And these guys are at the coalface. They have a business that gets right into the property sector. They take in money from potential investors who are looking to invest in that space and they provide the people who are actually trying to do something in the property sector. So their view on what's going on is particularly relevant, guys. Good to see you. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. All right, so let's talk about property prices. We're seeing they're going up. Absolutely. So the Doomsday Merchants got that one wrong, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think we're, I was on your show three months ago. I'm exactly, okay. I can't remember. Yeah, but yeah. 
Um, we went through an example of when the property prices did fall, and really there's a couple of characteristics that we look for. We look at a collapse of market, we look at uh, higher unemployment, longer term, and obviously we've had in COVID short-term unemployment go up higher, um, and we look at uh, a restraint on capital and interest rates going up. So we haven't seen all of those things, and with all of the items that the government has stepped in with, JobKeeper, JobSeeker, they've been quite successful in keeping everything normal during the last 12 months. Yeah, and, and Paul Miliotis, uh, the interesting thing is that um, we're not really above, I, I only read today, the May 2017 peak. So we went down across 2018 yeah. in, into 2009 and then we started to rise and we lost a bit of momentum. But mm. in many ways it sort of says that We've got some upside here with such stimulus and high interest rates. Yeah, look, we're seeing resilience, particularly in Sydney, but we're seeing um, a, a big skew as well in, in Brisbane at the moment. Mm. We think there's a there, there's a big flow of people going up and living in Brisbane. They've yeah. performed very well in COVID. Mm. Um, do you believe it? So we're of strong belief that Brisbane property prices will also increase. Yeah. Um, Sydney's will continue to increase, and even Melbourne now. Um, will will tip upwards as well in the residential space. Yeah, and you guys have been historically East Coast lenders, mm. yep. but you got scared during the coronavirus and you weren't interested in going to Melbourne, lockdown and problems like that. Because yeah. Queensland wouldn't let you in, but yeah, still, right. you, you weren't particularly, you, you, you're keeping your, your your investments close to home, but you've now broadened the, the outlook. But East Coast is back in. Yeah, it is back in. With I think Brisbane the favourite. At yeah. the moment, yes, we think that um, Brisbane um, will perform will outperform. Yeah. Um, we'll see if our predictions are, are right, but we are. you, you will see mm. um, investment opportunities um, definitely coming on board um, from us from Brisbane. Mm. And we are, we've seen a, a few opportunities in Melbourne that um, we're, we're interested in as well. So we were pessimistic about Melbourne. I mean, the, the poor state um, was locked mm. down the most. Yeah. Um, but I think a few things are, are, are giving us a lot more confidence. The, the stamp duty, and Paul can talk to stamp duty yeah. um, all day, but the stamp duty or the halving of stamp duty in Melbourne, um, I think 